This is The Mudroom, on Common Sense Parenting Classes with Alana Robinson, parenting effectiveness coach and child behavior strategist. Weekly nuggets of developmentally appropriate parenting wisdom to help you parent your toddlers and preschoolers more effectively with less effort. The Mudroom is recorded live on Facebook every Tuesday at 9 p.m. Eastern and 6 p.m. Pacific. Now, here's Alana. Welcome to The Mudroom, our weekly free and live Uncommon Sense Parenting class. For those of you who are new, please allow me to introduce myself. I'm Alana Robinson, and I'm a parenting effectiveness coach. I work with parents of toddlers, preschoolers, and kindergartners, helping them understand why their children are misbehaving and how to fix it without yelling, shaming, or using timeouts. I am your host here on The Mudroom. I also host my free peer support Facebook group, The Parenting Posse. And finally, I host the Parentability Program, where we figure out where your child thrives, what skills need some support, and we create a plan to develop them. More on that in a minute. (laughs) So y'all know that I track what new members coming into the Parenting Posse cite as their biggest parenting problem, right? I read every single one, and then I paste it into a spreadsheet because it's the best way that I've found to figure out where the holes are in how I'm helping y'all. Anytime I see a struggle that I don't have a mudroom episode on, I highlight it and then it goes onto a list of topics to cover. So something that I haven't really specifically covered and that has come up literally over a thousand times in the last year, I actually think I counted over a thousand times since May, is why some kids are absolutely perfect angels at school with their grandparents, often even with their secondary parent, usually dad, but with us, with their mothers, they are the devil incarnate. There is a really good reason for it. And once you know what that reason is, it's going to be a lot easier to fix. So any guesses what might cause this? Stress. (laughs) Surprise. It all comes down to stress. This is a classic stress behavior, and it is directly tied to your child's executive functioning skills. So for those of you who are new around here, at Uncommon Sense Parenting, we use Dr. Shanker's definition of stress, which is energy expenditure. I'm not going to go too deep into explaining stress as energy expenditure because we have a whole other episode on it, and I will drop the link in the comments once I'm finished. But the pivotal piece of information is that stress is not worry. It's anything that we spend energy on. So literally everything that we do is a stressor. So for little kids who are just developing their executive functioning skills, which if you've never heard of that before, they're the mental tools that our brains use to do literally everything. If those skills are sucking more energy than we have available, then we can't use them. We can't access them. They're just, they're there, but we can't connect to them. So how this plays out when it comes to your child acting like Shirley Temple in public, but at home with you, their Lucifer's twin, is that our kids are used to us compensating for those weak skills. They know that no matter what, we aren't going to abandon them because we are securely attached to them. We aren't going to let them sink. But at school, in public with people who they don't have a secure attachment with, they know they have to use those skills on their own to keep themselves safe. So for instance, 
I was discussing with a client the other week about how her daughter gets just glowing behavioral reviews at school from her teachers, but at home, she can't follow directions. She's always demanding her mother specifically do things for her, like put on her shoes or help her wash her hands after using the washroom. She hits her little brother when they're playing together. Her mom described her as a tyrant and she just could not reconcile the two. Like how can she do these things at school with a smile on her face, but at home it reduces her to an almost feral state because she's trying to manage her energy. She's just not going about it in the best way. So let's go back to our gas tank analogy. You have a certain amount of energy in your gas tank daily, right? Just like your car. Every morning you wake up, there is a certain amount of gas in your tank. If everything that you do sucks a little bit of energy out of your gas tank, eventually you're going to run out of energy. So if those mental tools are sucking too much energy, if they're not just taking a little bit, they're taking a lot every time you have to use them because they're weak. So they take a lot of effort to use. You're going to run out of energy before your day is through. In an effort not to run out of energy in public, where remember, we don't feel 100% safe, we're with people we know, but not well enough to trust that they will compensate for us if we can't handle our own shit. So in an effort to not run out of energy in public, we don't use those skills where we do feel safe because we know that our mothers will compensate for us no matter what. None of this is conscious. Not of it, not, yeah, none of it is premeditated. It is not premeditated. I tried to say those things at the same time. <laughs> Your child isn't choosing to manage their energy maladaptively. They're doing it on survival instinct. So what can we do to fix it? Now that we know what the problem is, that they have some weak skills that are drawing more energy than is available, So they're prioritizing that energy draw for public spaces where they don't feel completely safe. How do we fix it? Okay, so there's a few things that we can do that are going to make a world of difference. So the first thing that we can do is we can make them feel safer in public. We build their relationships with their teachers, their daycare providers, their friends' parents, etc., all the people in their lives. Now, this is going to help them redistribute their energy a bit better. But if we only focus on this, then they're still going to prioritize their energy to instances where where they don't feel safe, which will likely mean that you'll just start seeing the maladaptive behavior in slightly more scenarios. (laughs) It's an important piece. And with the other two things I'm going to talk about, it makes a huge difference. But on its own, it's not going to solve the problem. This is why some kids after Christmas break, you'll suddenly see poorer behavior because they spent the first half of the year building relationships, learning where the more knowledgeable others will compensate for them and where they won't. So now they feel safe and like they don't have to be on high alert all the time. So This is a puzzle piece, as I said, but if this is all you do, you're still going to have issues. We're going to teach them how to build those relationships so that they can do it on their own. 
And the second thing is that we're going to teach them how to recognize when their tank is getting low and to refill it. This is the argument for more recess time. This is the argument for allowing children to that children who prefer to read to do so like in the library instead of outside. This is why we are all burning out because we haven't prioritized activities that give us back our energy. So it's that detective work of what refills their tank and how we can teach them to do that throughout the day so that it's not just like a steady draw of energy, but it's more of a wave, right? They spend energy, they refill their tank. They spend energy and they refill their tank. And this makes a huge difference because our kids aren't then hoarding energy in reserve in case they need it for safety in public. Third, we are going to build those skills. We keep coming back to it because they're the foundation of absolutely everything that makes us civilized human beings. Remember how my client said, that her daughter was acting almost feral at home. It's not totally inaccurate. Without these mental tools, we are stuck acting on instinct, on sensing, feeling, emotion. We become much more animal and much less human, which is not necessarily bad in all situations. We need that part of our brain to determine, you know, friend and foe, to keep us safe to allow us to feel joy, to allow us to play. But we need our neocortex to think, to analyze, to learn, and to know things. We want those two parts of our brains in balance. Having either one running the ship results in problems. So building up those executive functioning skills so that we can use them more proficiently while using less energy is really, really important. I like the analogy of actual tools. I usually use a saw. <laughs> if I give you a dull saw and I ask you, could, I ask you to cut a two by four, it is going to take you all damn day and you probably still won't have accomplished it. Plus, you're gonna be exhausted. But if I give you a sharp saw, you're gonna be able to do it quickly and easily and while it will have taken a bit of effort, you've still got lots of energy left over to do other things, right? That's the difference of strong versus weak executive functioning skills. Does that make sense? How are you feeling about this? Are you seeing how everything in the end comes back to stress and skills? So much typical parenting advice is focusing on those top level symptoms and that's why it takes so long for everything to work, if it works at all, and why it often results in really damaging your relationship with your child. When we deal with behavior from the bottom up, you see results much faster, and it's a much more positive experience for absolutely everyone. Your child actually feels supported. And I know that this takes a certain level of knowledge to be able to accomplish. It's not necessarily easy. If it were easy, it would be the norm and it is totally not. So if you're wanting to take the next step towards understanding the various layers of this, my free misbehavior proof class is the best way to do that. The link is in the description. And in that class, I walk you through the impact that skills have on your child's behavior, what the specific yeah, specific skills are, 
and what they look like. So you should be able to walk away from that class seeing roots instead of symptoms at the very least. If you have any questions, if you're like, okay, that, you know, the theory makes sense, but I'm not really sure I'm following you, let me know. So you also want, if you're giving them help, and I do have a video on Vygotsky, it's like two and a half years old, if you want to go back and watch it, um, that covers the whole nitty gritty of this theory. But Vygotsky has what he calls the zone of proximal development, which is the difference between what they can do independently and what they can do with a little bit of help. That space between what they can do all by themselves and what they can do with a little bit of help is called the zone of proximal development, which means that you want to help them enough that they can do the thing, but you don't necessarily want to do it for them. Does that make sense? Usually I explain it by saying like, teaching your child to do up a zipper or helping them do up a zipper. You're not necessarily going to do up the zipper for them if they're like, I can't do it. But you can hold the part and say, okay, take it, put it in the hole. I'm going to hold it steady. Great. Okay. It's in. Zip up. Right? You help them just enough that it gets them over the hump, but you don't go so far as you do it for them. You've been listening to The Mudroom, Uncommon Sense Parenting Classes with Alana Robinson. If you like what you just heard, remember to join us every Tuesday evening at 9 p.m. Eastern and 6 p.m. Pacific on Facebook. And don't forget to rate, subscribe, share, and connect with us on social. This has been an Alana Robinson Family Services production.